I love the uh, uh, the title of the, the message today is uh, Always Invincible, and you could read it either way, Invincible Always or Always Invincible, uh, and that is an amazing possibility if it's true, and it is true, and my uh, task this morning is to prove to you that it, it is true. We, we are not invincible in ourselves, not by any means, but we are invincible in Christ. Uh, I love the phrase, in Christ. Do, do a study uh, through the New Testament and discover all of the different benefits and privileges and inheritance we have in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. In Adam all die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. And there are dozens of scriptures like that that, that tell us that, that really everything that we have is the result of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Well, what does it mean to be invincible? It is, it is this kind of definition. Incapable of being conquered, overcome, or subdued. Incapable, impossible for you and I as being members of the body of Christ, in Christ, for us to ever be conquered, overcome, or subdued. The reason for that being is that God has set us on an invincible path. He has set us upon a foundation uh, where in Christ we are not only secure in him, but we are, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Uh, I like to think of it as God's method of child-proofing his house. Those of you with small children, or maybe you could even remember when you had small kids, or maybe you're the grandparent of small kids, you know how important it is, how vital it is to proof, uh, child-proof your home. And, and, and you say, well, why? Well, well, because kids do really dumb things, right? Uh, we do really dumb things, too, sometimes. So, you know, little children have been known to, uh, like, uh, swallow very small objects that were, were never intended to be ingested, you know. Uh, kids can take sharp objects like a fork and stick it into an electrical socket. Shocking, you know. I, I know, but it's true, you know. Uh, in the earliest service, the Luchis were here, and I said, ask the Luchis because they've been there, done that, you know. Uh, Children have a tendency of taking little objects and sticking it up their nose to see how far they can go, or sticking it in their ears, which usually means a trip to the ER, you know? Uh, so it is imperative that parents, grandparents, childproof their homes, right? I mean, it just makes sense, right? Uh, but no one is as in-depth of childproofing their home as our Heavenly Father is. And what that basically means is that nothing and no one can cause us permanent harm or loss. That God ensures that, that even when the enemy means evil against us, he turns the tables on our enemy and he blesses us. He uses it for our good and for our, his ultimate glory. So I just want you to have this one single thought running through this message this morning. Maybe think about it every once in a while. Consider all that God has done for us in Christ. Consider all that Jesus Christ has accomplished, all that God has done for us in Christ. But before I, I, I continue in that thought, just put that on hold for a minute. I want to tell you a story. Uh, it's a true story. Uh, it happened a number of years ago. Uh, probably close to 19, maybe 20 years ago. Um, 
I was up in my office. I was preparing last-minute details for a wedding I was doing here at the church that afternoon. I get a phone call from my wife, who's sitting up here. Say, hi, honey. Hi, honey. Uh, she was, she was uh, to, to, say that, to say that she was a little upset uh, is a, an understatement. Apparently, uh, our son, Anthony, say hi, Anthony. Uh, our son was en route to Huntington Hospital's ER. Uh, he had been on his uh, then fiance. Say hi, fiance. <laughs> she's, she's a wife now, right? Love you. Uh, he had been on her roof doing some, some cleaning off of the leaves uh, and gutters, and he was on the roof, and he falls off head first. And all we knew at that point was that he was being taken to the hospital and he was in a world of hurt. As I picked Kathy up to drive over to the hospital, I remember hearing a story on the radio that very week that there was a, a man in his 40s living in, in Nassau County who on his single story roof fell and died. We, we actually know, know of a gentleman who fell off of a roof in a similar manner and has been permanently paralyzed. So, so this was scary stuff for us as we traveled to the, to the ER. Uh, one of the first things that the doctors did, and because of the way in which Anthony fell, he fell, he fell head first, but it was his arms that, that received the major impact of his body weight and of his fall. And uh, so one of the first things that doctors did was to take x-rays of both of his arms. One doctor, in fact, I think it was the surgeon who ultimately uh, fixed our son up, was uh, describing his injuries as looking like a bag of bones. He broke both of his elbows and uh, fractured uh, his arms in a number of different places. And uh, one of the first things they did, as I mentioned, is they took x-rays to see how uh, severe, how, how uh, serious the damage was. And as we suspected, it was, it was really serious. Now, one of the things that the x-ray did, and I'm so grateful for them because the x-rays showed us just how serious of a situation our son was in. But the x-rays did not, did not ease his pain. The, 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 the x-rays did not mend his brokenness. The, the x-rays couldn't fix what was wrong. And the x-rays certainly couldn't help us as parents in the concern that we had for our son. In fact, it only amplified his condition. And I, and I bring that all up to say that, well, n number one, my son needed a skilled physician, uh, a surgeon, a skilled surgeon who could mend him and put him back together. But, but we, need, we need a savior who, as a result of our fall, can not only fix us, but can uh, transform us. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses, if you will, the analogy that I would like you to consider is that in the first seven chapters of the book of Romans, great book, the Paul's letter to the Romans, the first seven chapters of, the, of that book, Paul uses like the law of God, the moral law of God, as, as, as a, a trauma doctor would use the x-ray to evaluate the, the spiritual condition of the fallen human race. And it's absolutely critical. It's absolutely uh, serious beyond, beyond uh, 
our ability to, to, to really comprehend just how severe of a situation we find ourselves in. And so the Apostle Paul, if you will, has taken the law. But, but just as the x-ray could not mend our, our son's brokenness, so the, so the law of God cannot mend our brokenness. It cannot fix what's wrong with us. It only reveals our lost condition. We need a Savior. We need one who is able to come to our rescue. The Apostle Paul has built his case over these seven chapters that that the Gentiles are in trouble and the Jews are in trouble and and all men are in trouble, even those that don't have the law of God. God has, has written that law upon the conscience of men. And so we're all in this serious situation. In fact, Paul... In, in the seventh chapter, talks about his own personal struggle of wanting to do good, but finding that evil is present with him even while he wants to do good. And then he, he cries out with this, with, with, with what I perceive as the cry of a, like an animal that may have been trapped in a, in a, in a vice, in, in one of those bear traps. Uh, it, it not only has, has taken away his freedom, but it also has injured and wounded him. And, and Paul cries out this, this statement in Romans 7, verse 24. He says, O wretched man that I am, who can rescue me from the body of this death? Paul recognizes that he needs to be rescued. And, he, and he's asking the question, who can rescue me from the body of this death? Now, what Paul does is he's using an idiom that the people of the first century would have understood. The, the wretched man that he's talking about is, is literally being chained to a corpse. One of the ways in which tyrants executed people back in the day just for the fun of it was to chain you to a dead corpse that was putrefying and decaying. And so Paul is likened that our sinful nature that we carry around with us while we desire to do good is like being chained to this wretched, putrefying, old, sinful nature. And he's looking for deliverance. And just as, as he's built this case over the seven chapters and he's saying that, that this, is, this is absolutely our condition, we're, we're helpless it is as dark as it can possibly be, but then suddenly, suddenly the sky opens up. The S-O-N begins to shatter the, the darkness. As Paul breaks into unabashed praise and says in verse 25, but thanks be to God for rescuing me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. He is the one who has come to rescue us. God sent his son into the world for this very purpose to rescue us from from such a horrific manner in which we find ourselves in. Hey, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, thank you for being here. Sincerely, we we hope that you will see just how precious, just how lovely, just how beautiful Jesus Christ is. And the reason why we value him so much is because of the cost of the cross and what it meant for him. For, for Jesus to rescue us. He didn't do it by compulsion. He did it voluntarily out of his love for us. And to say that Jesus loves you, loves me, is a tremendous understatement. Chapter 8, in my opinion, is one of the greatest single chapters of the New Testament. And verse 1, verse 1, and everything that flows out of verse 1 in this chapter is the, is the unfolding theology, if you will, of, of why we are always invincible, of why God has child-proofed his, 
eternal home because it's Jesus Christ and all that he has done. God has set us on an invincible footing and the foundation is secure. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all because of Jesus. In this one sweeping statement that we're going to look at in, in, in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul sets aside the diagnosis. Yeah, the diagnosis is bleak, it's horrible, it's critical, it's fatal, but there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Not now, not some distant day in the future, not ever will there ever be condemnation. If you are in that phrase that I shared a little while ago, in Christ, you will never know eternal punishment. You will never know damnation. You will never know condemnation because of Jesus Christ and all that he's accomplished, all that God has done for us, all because of the unspeakable sufferings of the cross. And just like the x-rays revealed my son's broken arms, so the law of God has revealed our brokenness. But God has done something to not only mend our brokenness, but way beyond that, the gospel is transformational. The gospel changes our sinful nature to give us, well, to become partakers of his own divine nature. We get a new heart and a new life in Christ. The truth that's contained in Romans chapter 8 is the celebration of, of verse 1. It's the celebration that there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. I found a quote from John Stott, who is a, uh, an English pastor, a theologian. Uh, and this is, this is his comment on the verses that we're about to look at, okay? He said, the apostle hurls questions out into space, as it were, defiantly, triumphantly challenging any creature in heaven, on earth, or in hell to answer or deny the truth that's contained in them. But there is no answer for no one and nothing can harm the redeemed people of God. Do you believe that? That no one can cause us permanent harm or loss. That we are in Christ invincible. Romans 8.31 and we'll begin unwrapping these verses and, and, and they're so powerful. What then shall we say in response to all this? And, and Paul is not only talking about what he's just said in the previous verses, but all in the seven chapters that Paul brings this to a culmination and says, what can we possibly say in response to all this? And here's the, and here's the logical conclusion. If God is for us, or rather because God is for us, who can be against us? I said, consider what God has done for us. In this chapter, Paul reveals that God has called us and he's called us by name. He's justified us. That is, just as if we had never sinned. And he's even planned our ultimate glorification with Christ. And, and all that that has to do is, 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 is mind-boggling that we are glorified together with the Son of God. Who can possibly be against us with everything that God has done for us and that if God is for us? Now, Paul is not suggesting, not even for one single moment, that we don't have enemies. We have enemies. We have enemies who want to tempt us. We have enemies who want to silence us. We have enemies who want to destroy us. We even have enemies from within 
our own flesh, the world flesh, and the devil are all enemies that oppose the child of God. But what Paul is saying is that what are all these enemies but feeble foes compared to the omnipotence and the sovereignty of a mighty God? God, in this verse, reveals that he is our sovereign protector. Who can possibly prevent the ultimate good that God has in store for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. None can snatch us from the hand of our Savior's grip. His hold on us is firm and sure. What Paul is doing is he's he's dismissing. Listen, he's writing to people and down through the centuries have gone through difficult times, who've been persecuted, who've been, who've been ostracized, who, who've, been, who've been made the brunt of this world. And Paul is dismissing fear in the face of danger. We face danger. We face hostility. We face difficulties, hardships. But we triumph in every single one of them. And that this is, this is the point of what he's bringing out before us, that even death itself cannot hurt us. Because death ultimately ushers us into the presence of God himself. So you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you just said that, that God's our divine protector, right? He is. But we experience hostilities. And we experience trials and difficulties and persecution. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will experience persecution. But listen to this statement. I love this. I, I know I, I found this someplace and then I tweaked it a little bit. And so... So I don't, I don't have a name associated with it because it's kind of, I robbed it. This okay. The life of faith does not offer exemption from sorrow, pain, and disappointment, but it does offer the power not merely to bear it, but to use adversity to become strong in God, to become strong in the Lord. God uses adversity to become the catalyst for which we grow strong in faith, and strong in the Lord. You see, faith that's not tested is faith that cannot be trusted. One of the ways in which God protects his children is by growing our faith. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. This is the victory. Now, say to me, well, if God child-proofs his home, then why do we have to go through these dangers and hostilities and persecutions? Well, let me just say this. The the road to heaven uh, is not an easy road. And it's on purpose. It's designed that way by God because because of his wisdom. Now, now let me just tell you uh, that there was once a flock of pelicans who happily fished off of the coast of California. You heard of angry birds? Well, these were happy birds. One day, a fishing company began cleaning their catch at a nearby dock and casting the the fish scraps into the water. And when the pelicans got news of what was going on, you know, free lunch, and news got out to all of the pelicans, right? And and every day that they would arrive at around the same time, the fishermen would clean their clean their catch and they would dump the scraps into the water, and the pelicans would have a free lunch, and they became really happy, happy birds became really comfortable in their existence, and they really just kind of settled into that. And life was pretty good for them until the fishermen discovered that the fish scraps, there was a market for fish scraps. And so abruptly, the free lunch stopped, if you will. 
But they kept showing up at the same time, day after day after day. And after a while, while they showed up and there was nothing for them to eat, they left with empty stomachs. And after a while, they kind of became a little bit emaciated. Pelicans were starving to death. Pelicans that were created by God to be able to fish, to catch fish, were no longer fishing. They kind of forgot how to fish because they had, they had grown comfortable with their lifestyle. They had an easy way of existing before, and as a result of that, they kind of got sloppy. Well, you know, the moral to that story really is, is quite clear that a charmed life and easy, comfortable living leads to weakness instead of carefulness and strength. We were designed by God so that we might become more than conquerors through him who loved us. Adversity becomes the catalyst by which God shows himself strong. Number one, God is our divine protector. But number two, God is also our divine provider. That's what is revealed in the next verse. In chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, together with Jesus, with him, graciously give us all things? I tell you, there's so much in that verse, and there's so much in that verse that makes me to tremble, that makes me shudder to think that God did not spare his own son. See, across the country, this last week, and, and, and you can count on it, it's going to happen next week, men will stand before... Men and women will stand before judges, and some of, some of them will, 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 will cop a plea, will, will enter into a plea agreement with the district attorney in which they will confess that they are guilty of the crime, but they will be given a reduced sentence. In some cases, it will be time served. In some cases, it will be no time served. It might be probation, but they'll get off, kind of scot-free, if you will. That is not the way Paul means it here. Jesus did not have a lessening of the sentence of death or punishment upon him at the cross, but he bore the full weight of the wrath of divine justice. You know, I, I shudder at the thought of, but God did not spare his own son. There was about five or six different scriptures in the New Testament that tell us that God didn't spare the ancient world that then was, but it destroyed the world by a flood. God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but reserved them in everlasting Chains of darkness. God did not spare the children of Israel who came out of Egypt, but because of their unbelief, perished in the wilderness. God, God did not spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but destroyed them. But the most fearful of all, which is, which is impossible for us to recognize, that the one who is his beloved son, eternally, eternally loved of the Father, God did not spare him. The one who deserved, listen, the one who deserved, the one who's called the king of angels deserved to be honored and adored and loved and, and worshipped, was spat upon, was blindfolded and struck upon the face. Crown of thorns were, were set into his forehead. Then they took chunks of his flesh by whipping him at a post. Then they nailed him to the cross. And it was God who spared not his son. 
It was the Father who did it. It was, it was not wicked hands, and yet it was within wicked hands that the Father gave up his Son. It defies logic, but yet God did it. And in doing so, he ensured our salvation. He ensured that we would be set upon an invincible foundation. I love what John Flavel wrote about these verses. Quote, surely he would not, he who would not spare his own son one stroke, one tear, one groan, one sigh, one circumstance of misery. It could never be imagined that he should, after this, deny or withhold from his people, for whose sakes all this was suffered, any mercies, any comforts, any privilege, spiritual or temporal, which is good for them. God is our sovereign protector, but he's also our sovereign provider. And Paul gives us the proof that God did not spare his son, but freely gave him up for us all, for you and for me. How shall he not? Paul's argument is based upon the, the logic of from the greater to the lesser, that if God gave us the greater gift, his son, precious in his sight, Will he withhold anything from us that is of far lesser value that we need on this journey of salvation? And the answer is, of course not. Verse 33, and all this because of his suffering. Verse 33 says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is it that shall condemn? Jesus Christ who died? More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What Paul is saying in that verse is not only consider what God has done for us, but consider what Jesus Christ is doing for us presently. He is presently interceding, which is praying for us. And remember how Peter, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Not only is he our divine provider and our divine protector, but he's also our divine preserver. It is he who keeps us ultimately from falling away. Paul's logic is, is sound. And basically what he's saying is this. It's, it's, not as though, it's not as though no one can point a finger of accusation at us. There are plenty of accusations against us because we're not perfect, we're flawed, and our own heart sometimes condemns us. But what Paul is saying is that who can, who can condemn us when it's God who justifies us, when Jesus Christ has paid the ultimate penalty for every single infraction that we've ever made, and he's taken it out of the way by having nailed it to the cross. This is tremendous encouragement for maybe new believers or for, or for sensitive people or believers who, who struggle with a sense of guilt or a sense of self-condemnation. You're always hard on, you're harder on yourself than on, than on anyone else. And this is the purpose that this is written so that you would, have, you would have confidence in God. For who is the one who has justified you but God himself, who, who knew everything about you from, from the beginning to the end, who, who, who knows the worst about you, but he knew the worst about you when he accepted you into his beloved son. 
No lapse, no failure will ever cause God's verdict to change. You are justified now and forever in Christ. God justified us when we were his enemies. How now much more, Paul says, much more shall we be saved through him who loved us. The saving work of Jesus continues. And the reason is, is, is obvious. God wants you to have confidence. He wants you to walk as though you are indeed more than a conqueror, that you are always set upon a foundation of being invincible in him. Look at verse 35 with me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sakes, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. I mean, that's, that's an amazing list of things that Paul mentions here. And yet we're always invincible. Even in the face of death, death cannot harm us because it ultimately brings us into the very presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death cannot sever our relationship from the one who has a grip upon us and will not allow anyone to pluck us out of his hand. Verse 37 No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, not just conquerors, but more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, or anything else in all creation. Right there, Paul just sums up anything that you could possibly imagine or think of in all of creation nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And you know, except for death, Paul experienced every single thing of those, those groups of verses that we just read, the tribulation. I mean, you read about some of the things that happened to Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. It is amazing. And what Paul is saying is that none of these negative experiences can ever sever us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What I want you to take away, and I want really to get down into your spirit today, is that, is that in Christ we are always invincible, and invincible in all ways. That is God's footing for us. He has set that as child-proofing his eternal home. I, I love this statement as well. The sacrifice of Jesus was so overwhelmingly triumphant that he conquered death not only for himself, but for you and I as well. The sacrifice of Jesus was, was, was so magnificently triumphant that he conquered death, not only for himself, but for all of us as well. I want to close with this story. You may have heard about this pastor by the name of Saeed. Uh, he's an Iranian, born in the U.S., living in Idaho, he went to Iran to visit family and to build an orphanage. And in July 28, 2012, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard uh, seized him and uh, charged him with the crime of being a Christian. And as a result of that, he was taken to a notorious prison called Evan Prison, where he was placed in solitary confinement and he was repeatedly beaten by guards. He's since been sentenced to eight years in prison. 
He's never received any of the medical aid for the many wounds that he's received at the hands of his captors. Uh, yet through all the pain and trial, however, he's not wavered once in his faith and his commitment toward Jesus Christ. In fact, he has repeatedly affirmed that his chains are in Christ and that God is using his imprisonment for the furtherance of the gospel. Several weeks ago, we were at a meeting where Jay Seculo, uh, who is an attorney, uh, who is representing him and attempting to get him released from prison, was sharing some of the, some of the truth of, of what I've just said in these statements. Prison guards have warned him that if he doesn't stop talking about Jesus to other prisoners, that his length of sentence is going to be extended, but that hasn't stopped him. Uh, he feels compelled to share the gospel. In fact, there have been conversions in prison. Uh, in fact, some of the Muslim prisoners who have given their lives to Christ have had the same experience of being beaten and having their sentences extended. But this is what he, this is what he said. He said, I see all these difficulties as opportunities and great doors to serve. Sounds like the Apostle Paul and all that he's gone through, there's a great effectual doors of opportunity open for me, Paul said, but there are also many adversaries. Yeah, we have enemies, but we also have a God who is for us, a God who is our divine sovereign protector, our sovereign provider, and our sovereign preserver. In Christ, beloved, we are more than conquerors. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that God has imprinted that invincible always in your DNA and that God wants you to remember who you are in Christ. Don't be like the happy pelicans who got easy and comfortable and forgot who they were and why they were created. God's created you to be more than a conqueror. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, can you see why we love him? Can you see why Jesus is so precious to us? Because of the cost and because of the cross and all that he has accomplished for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not only the power of God into salvation, it's transformational. It changes hearts from, from being dead toward God to be made alive toward Christ. It changes our hearts from, from hardness to, to being pliable and to being moldable in your hand. So Father, we thank you today that the word of God is powerful and that I just pray that, that this word would sink down into the hearts of your children, that they'd walk out of here with a new perspective, that, that God, you have childproofed your home, that you have made them invincible and set them on a sure foundation. On Christ, the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And for anyone that's here this morning who has not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that Jesus is the only remedy for our lost condition. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. But if you will turn to him today in faith and trust in his sacrifice and trust in him and call on his name, I believe that he will set you today on an invincible footing 
so that you could say, just as I'm saying today, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If you'd like to pray that prayer, just simply goes like this. Jesus, come into my heart. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again from the dead. Take my sins from me. Be my Lord and my Savior. I always say it's not magic words. It's just the heartfelt expression of crying out to the to the Lord. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The name Jesus is sufficient to call upon his name. I hope you've done that today. If you have, tell somebody. Let's all stand together as we close in worship today.